Let's, uh, if you have your Bibles, open your Bibles to Ephesians, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll be in verses 11 through 16. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm sorry. And the title of this message, as you're finding your way there, is Growing in the Gospel into the Image of Christ. Uh, this is our second week of preaching through our values as a church. Uh, remember, our values is, is that we are rooted in the gospel, that we're growing in the gospel into the image of Christ, and that we're producing fruit of the gospel uh, wherever we live, work, or play. We, we value being gospel-centered. It's, it's who we are. It's our DNA. It's at the heart of, of what we are, who we are as Imago Dei. And last week, we, last week we talked about in, Ephesians, or in Philippians in chapter 3 um, how we valued being rooted in the gospel, our very first value. And our second value is what we'll speak about today, growing in the gospel into the image of Christ. And we find a great deal of context for what passage we'll be going through today in Ephesians chapter 4. And we find that uh, context in, in Ephesians 4 and verse 1. Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. See, the Apostle Paul in this section of Ephesians is calling the readers to, uh, to be and to grow into everything that Christ has called us to be. He's calling us uh, into that calling uh, by calling us into unity within the body, uh, by calling us into fulfilling the work of the ministry that God has for us, by calling us into maturity, by, by calling us into truly knowing Christ, by calling us to have discernment against false doctrine, calling us to have, um, uh, you know, answer our spiritual gifting and, and to grow up into every aspect into Christ. And, and he's calling us into love. And so join me uh, with the reading of God's word, if you can, and if you're able, please stand and let's read Ephesians chapter four, beginning in verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists. And some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry to the building up of the body of Christ. until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of of the stature, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted together, held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Amen. You can be seated. And so at Imago Day, we value growing in the gospel into the image of Christ. And that means that we must, our very first point, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Since the beginning of the church, God has provided the means in which, we would, in which he would perfect the church and cause her individual parts to grow in the gospel into the image of Christ. See, Christ gave, and, and, and what, what, what Paul lists here is that Christ gave the apostles we know the apostles to be the, the twelve, uh, Matthias replacing Judas, um, and then also Paul, who, who, who Jesus Christ uh, physically met with, who Jesus Christ physically sent out. That's what the word apostle means, apostolos, sent out ones. Uh, the apostles were given the task to lay the foundation for the church. Um, they, were, they, were, uh, they received 
God's word. They wrote God's word. They spoke God's word. And God had gifted them accordingly um, to be able to uh, validate, to be able to give validity to, uh, to validate, I mean, what God was doing in and through them. Christ also gave the prophets is what Paul lists here. And the prophets there, the specific office of the prophet in the early church was that one who would receive revelation from God concerning the church or also expounding on previously given revelation, but it would always line up with the apostles' teaching, the apostles' doctrine. Paul also says that Christ gave the evangelists. Now, that literally means one who preaches the good news. Christ also gave shepherds and teachers. And we're best to look at this word shepherds and teachers as one office, um, the teaching part of the shepherd expounding kind of and explaining the office more in detail. So when we see that word shepherds and that word in the middle, that word in the Greek is chi. So it can mean and, but it also can mean in particular. So it's shepherds, in particular teachers. And, and it's the same office of shepherds and teachers is the same office of pastor, of elder, of overseer, of bishop, all of that, that, that main office of elder. It's all the same. It's, it's considered the same. And it just highlights really the ability, the primary focus and, and, and uh, almost number one responsibility that the teacher has, or the pastor has, which is the ability to be able to teach the word. And so looking at this text, what does Paul say that Christ gave the church these gifts for? And we see there in verse 12 that he gave them to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And we see that words, those words, the work of the ministry. Now, the work of the ministry is not just for church leaders. You know, when we ordain a pastor into, um, uh, into the gospel ministry, we often have a, a, a saying where we say, uh, you know, that pastor is, is in full-time ministry. Um, that music leader is in full-time ministry. I'm in full-time ministry. Uh, and, and that might be true, but it's not necessarily specific to just the pastor. Each and every one of us as Christians are in full-time ministry. You may not be vocational in ministry, um, being uh, blessed with the opportunity to be able to be um, paid for uh, being in full-time ministry, but each and every single one of us are in full-time ministry. It's the spiritual service of every single Christian to be in the work of the ministry. Now, the work of the ministry is the, the every single day work of the ministry, wherever we live, wherever we work, wherever we play, of seeking to make disciples, seeking to evangelize the lost. Um, it's, the, it's the ministry that we have of reconciliation, where we're reconciling, attempting to reconcile lost, dead sinners to a holy God through the beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is being uh, ambassadors for Christ, right? It's our everyday spiritual service that we have as Christians. Next, he says to build up the body of, of Christ. So it's to develop the church, to nurture the church, to mature the church, to edify the church. And we as a church have been equipped for the work of the ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ for centuries. And Christ has done this through the offices and giftings that he has listed and that we saw Paul list in, earlier there in, in chapter 4. And he did that primarily in the early church through the apostles and through the prophets. I want you to think about, for instance, Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. It says that the early church did what? continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' teaching. Remember that, that 
Uh, it was through the apostles that God chose to deliver his word to, to, to expound, to, um, uh, to, to receive direct revelation from God, to expound, to write. And, and so therefore to deviate from the apostles' doctrine would, uh, would be to deviate from the word of God. It would be to deviate from what God had said in his instructions. And then there was the office of the prophet, the one that I mentioned about earlier, who, who would receive revelation from God pertaining to the church, who would also um, proclaim, expound on revelation that was already given um, from the uh, apostles that would always line up with what they taught. But these were the gifts of the early church. But what gifts today are the offices of the early church? I should say, uh, But what gifts today has Christ given to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ? If the office of apostle and the specific office of prophet is no longer in effect, ceasing with the completion of the New Testament, what offices are there today to equip the saints? Well, Paul said that there are evangelists and the shepherd teachers, the ones who expound upon the foundation laid for them, by Christ, the ones who expound on the foundation laid for them by the apostles and prophets. Now, for evangelists, for instance, we see uh, men in the New Testament like Philip, the evangelist. We see, uh, you know, Paul tell Timothy to do the work of an evangelist, to fulfill his ministry, literally to preach the gospel. Um, today's time, we see uh, men of God who go about from place to place and preaching the gospel message, sometimes to stadiums full of people. They are evangelists. And then we also see uh, people who are gifted in evangelism that might take a team of uh, people from the church with them and go head out into the streets. And they would stand out there and they would preach and proclaim, maybe through passing out tracts, through getting to pray with people, but specifically proclaiming the gospel to lost people for the purpose of bringing them to Christ and changing their eternal destination. So that's the evangelist. And we also see the office of the shepherd. And we see the office of the shepherd magnified in places like 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, where we see the, office, or we see the qualifications of these uh, shepherd teachers. You know, being above reproach, the husband of one wife, being sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, shepherd teacher, able to teach, not a drunk, not violent, uh, gentle, but, or but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, and managing his household well. We see texts that are very, very, very explicit on the duties of the shepherd teacher uh, that are very beautiful, <clears throat> like 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2 and 3, when he says, <clears throat> he says to shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And one of my favorite passages about being a shepherd in Acts chapter 20, verse 28 through 31. Paul speaking to the elders in Ephesus before he heads to Jerusalem, knowing what's waiting for him there. He says this. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert 
remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. So as your shepherd, I don't take this calling lightly. I have the responsibility to guide you, to protect us, to feed us. And honestly, the pulpit sets the pace for the church. The pastor ensures the health of the flock. And the best way that pastors can do that is through the faithful preaching and teaching of the Word of God. See, the Word of God is the primary agent that will equip the saints for the work of the ministry. In 2 Timothy in chapter 3, in verse 16 and 17, he says that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So that word inspired by God literally means breathed out by God. The ESV translates that right. literally means breathed out by God. It comes from his innermost being. It is his words. And it's my responsibility to deliver the very words of God to you as accurately, as passionately, as clearly as I can in such a way that it teaches you, that it challenges you, that it causes you to fall more in love with Jesus, equipping you for the work of the ministry and, and, and for building up the body of Christ. So that's why we, uh, on Sundays, we preach these things, Anthony, called expository messages. We explain the text. We go through the Bible verse by verse. And while we're in this season of core team right now, we're kind of talking about values, our vision, our mission, our direction. So we can all get on one page and push in the same direction. But after our core team season's done, we're going to uh, go where God leads us in a book of the Bible. And we're going to systematically preach it verse by verse, text by text. And as we preach verse by verse, we're going to come face to face with verses that will not allow us to say the same. We're going to come face to face with verses that are challenging and will punch us right in the face and then give us an ice pack for our fat lip. We're going to come face to face uh, with verses that cause us to fall more in love with Jesus, knowing him on a deeper level, growing and maturing into the image of God. It's when we preach verse by verse, expositorily, expositionally and exegetically through the Bible that we are forced to deal with the whole Bible, every word, every verse. And be confronted with the very words of God. Not cherry picking verses and allowing it to mean something that we want it to mean. So the word of God is the primary agent in which we will be equipped for the work of the ministry. See, without a fundamental and growing knowledge of the word, we are useless to the ministries. We are babies in need of nurturing. Very vulnerable and, and, and very um, um, yeah, vulnerable for attack. And that's why we, on, on Sundays, like I said, we preach expositional messages. We, we honor the Word of God. We, we read from the Old Testament. We read from the New Testament. We're sent out with the benediction. Our whole service is centered on the Word of God and on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then on Tuesdays, we get together again in kind of uh, smaller groups, you know, uh, or in a, and we get together as a church, you know. We meet together in our homes, and we go through the Bible even deeper and even more. And then we have these things called huddles. Maybe where we're meeting one-on-one or one-on-two, you know, kind of more gender-specific things as much as and often as we can. And it's in those places that we open the Word of God and we pray with each other. And, and we, we say, thus saith the Lord. And in those uh, environments, it encourages us all to and it, and it holds us all accountable to be diligent students of the Word every single day. And as your pastor, if I'm not... And trusting you to be fed. If I'm not 
trust, or sorry about that. As your pastor, if I'm not ensuring you, if I'm not ensuring that you are being fed, my apologies. If I'm not ensuring that you're being fed from the pulpit, if I'm not ensuring that you're being fed from small groups, if I'm not ensuring that you're being fed at our house meetings, if I'm not uh, assuring that you're being fed in discipleship, then I'm doing you a huge disservice. If I'm not weaning you off from milk and and weaning you onto solid food, if I'm not teaching you to be self-deficient or self-sufficient, then I'm failing you. I'm leaving you vulnerable to the wolves. And I want to share this truth with you that I'm just the under shepherd. You know, and Lord willing, Lord willing, as we grow in our heart's desire, and one thing that I forgot to mention, but I'll mention now, our direction and where we want to be is to be an elder-led congregation. I don't want to be the only shepherd, the only elder here. I want to see this church ran uh, by uh, you know, a, a, a body of elders, how many God would give us, three or five or so, as we press on. That's our vision for the next few years. Like, that's what we want to see. So there's room to grow, and there's room to be able to take on other elders and those things, because I don't want to be the only shepherd. It's not, it's not my show, right? It's, it's, it's Jesus' church. So I hope you guys kind of understand. That's the direction where we want to go. We want to be elder-led with congregational buy-in. So I'm the under-shepherd, You guys aren't just my sheep, right? We all belong to Jesus, the great shepherd. And a a fact that causes me to tremble, a fact that scares me to death, is that one day the great shepherd, the great I am, the true shepherd, Jesus Christ, is going to come back. And he's going to ask me how I took care of his sheep. He's going to hold me accountable for what I've taught, for how I've shepherded you, how I've fed you, how I've guided you, how I've protected you. So I don't take that lightly. It's my job to equip you for the work of the ministry. And and I thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for allowing me to be your shepherd, for trusting me to do that. And I don't... Sometimes I wake up and I wonder, like, God, how would you use a knucklehead like me for this ministry? And then I... I'm so grateful for his gospel and for his grace. So as a church that values growing in the gospel into the image of Christ, number two, our measure of maturity must be Christ. So as we've alluded to before, um, our aim as Christians is is Christ-likeness. That's what we've got our sights on. Uh, That's what we're shooting our gun towards is Christ-likeness. And and last week, we examined the analogy given to us by Paul of that of a runner. And what did he say? He said that um, one thing that I do is forgetting about what's behind me and pressing on towards the call or pressing on towards the prize, the upward call of God. He's a runner leaving behind everything that he left at the starting line and pressing on towards the goal, towards the prize, towards the finish line. And in regards to verse 12, about equipping the saints for the work of the ministry and building up the body, Paul says that we are to do this until, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of God. Of Christ. See, the, the unity of the faith. When we talk about the faith, 
we're talking about the complete content of the gospel. It's, it's what embodies um, the Christian teaching. And kind of maybe to give you guys a little bit of a picture of that. In, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, they tell us the gospel. They teach the person and work of Jesus Christ. They show us what Jesus' life, death, and resurrection And in that book of Acts, we see the gospel and how it goes forth into the world through the early church. In the epistles, we see the direct implications of the gospel in our churches and lives as Christians. And then in Revelation, we see the culmination of the gospel. Uh, You know, Christ returning, um, uh, judgment day, uh, making all things new, uh, wiping every tear and, and, and making there be no more sin. A new heaven and a new earth, eternity in heaven with Jesus, all things made new. So when we see Paul talk about the unity of the faith, he's talking about harmony among the saints, uh, harmony among believers who are centered in the gospel. He's talking about um, um, in all of its implications, in all of its teachings that come forth from the gospel, we have that harmony in and that unity in. He's, he's speaking of unity and oneness among saints that are being built upon the solid rock of Christ as he's revealed himself in the scriptures. See, unity of the saints is unity among believers who are built on the gospel. And furthermore, he says, and the knowledge of the Son of God. And we're just kind of going through this and breaking apart each little section, but... And the knowledge of the Son of God. So the word for knowledge is not just a head knowledge, right? We kind of spoke on this last week. It's not just knowing Jesus, right? Like uh, knowing who he is and knowing what he's capable of and knowing, um, you know, it's part of his plan. Because even, you know, even the devil knows and, and believes, yet he isn't saved. Um, this, this knowing, this knowledge of the Son of God isn't just this head knowledge. And it's, it's not even really the knowledge that, I mean, it is the knowledge that accompanies salvation, but he's not speaking about that here. Rather, it's the knowledge that he's referring to here. It, it refers to this experiential knowledge that comes with, uh, you know, really getting to know Jesus. You know, and, it's, and that comes through through word, through, through, through the study of his word, diligent Bible study. It comes through um, diligent prayer, but ultimately it comes through our obedience to what he calls us to do, right? Don't be doers, don't be just hearers of the word, but be doers of the word, right? But it also comes through our suffering. I've come to know Christ more through this last year of suffering that I've gone through I've come to know who the Father is more through this last year of suffering that I've gone through than any other time in my life. I've really got to know who He is. So it's kind of the knowledge He's talking about, and that's brought me to a deeper level of maturity. Not that I've already attained it, right? But one thing I do is forgetting about what's behind and pressing on towards the upward call of God. And so He says next, uh, to a mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. See, it's our calling. It's the will of God that we should display the qualities of Jesus Christ. That is his plan and his purpose for us is to be made into the image of his son. So, so as we have our, 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 our value to grow into the image of Christ, it's God's will that we should do this. And after all, our, our, 
Christ is our standard, our measure for maturity. Like we don't, I don't measure my standard of maturity up to Rick and say, you know what, uh, this is where Rick is and this is where I am. And so I'm doing pretty poorly or I'm doing pretty good, right? I don't measure my maturity to Joanna or to Naomi or, or to Colin or to Kyra or Anthony or, or Veranda. I measure the level of my maturity to Christ. We measure ourselves to Christ, and he must be our standard of measure when we're seeking for maturity. Because if you're just looking at me and you're saying, you know what, I'm going to be as mature as Tanner, I'm going to let you down. Right? I'm striving towards Christ-likeness. It's not a terrible thing to, like Paul says, you know, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ, right? But that's it. You should be imitating Christ and let that be your measure and your standard In Romans 8 and verse 29, he says this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. In 2 Corinthians in chapter 3 and verse 18, he says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, check this out, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So why is it so important that we strive each individually for maturity, to live and to look like Jesus? Why is that important? One of the most important reasons that we set our measure on the maturity of Christ is so that we can be protected from false teaching, so that we can be protected from doctrinal error. Let's read verse 14. Gaze your your eyes on the page. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. As a result of of having the measure and stature and fullness of Christ as seeking that maturity, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. We're no longer to be children. We're called to be grown-ups. We're no longer to be tossed around by the waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine, but we are firmly rooted in the gospel and contending for our faith. We're able to fight and we're able to defend ourselves. If false doctrine try to creep in here now at this moment, I, I hope and I pray that we as mature believers would be able to recognize that and defend against it. You see, the trickery of men, the craftiness of deceitful scheming has no effect on the Christian whose measure for maturity is Christ. The trickery of men, the craftiness of deceitful scheming has no effect on the Christian who is united with others in the faith. The the trickery of men, the craftiness of deceitful scheming has no effect on the Christian who has a deep experiential knowledge of the Son of God, who has spent time getting to truly know Jesus through prayer study, obedience, and who has suffered with Christ. The trickery of men and the craftiness of deceitful scheming has no effect on that, on that Christian. It only affects those who are immature babies, lacking discernment, who refuse to grow in the gospel in the image of Christ, who refuse to gather together. See, the New Testament is full of warnings of of false teachers that are creeping into the church. Over and over again, we see Paul combating this. We see John and 1 John combating false teachers, right? Uh, We see this over and over again. It's full of it. We see letter after letter of, of people who are under the power of Satan attempting to deceive the church. It's nothing new. It's happened 
since the beginning. And that's why it's important to be mature Christians, to be a mature church whose measure is Christ. A mature church full of mature believers such as this one as Imago Day would be very hard to sway in false teaching. Because why? Because we're rooted in the gospel. Because our values are gospel centrality. Because we know Christ truly. We know him through his word. We know him through prayer. We sing him in our songs. We know Christ. We've suffered with him. We've seen him move. We know Christ truly. And that's just one of the major reasons why we value growing in the gospel into the image of Christ. So that we're protected from false teaching. So that we're protected from doctrinal error. We're protected from the trickery of men. We're protected from the attacks of Satan. I want you to think about this, that in the garden, when, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, the snake, you know, kind of made his little meandering way up to Eve. And what did he say? Did God really say? Right? He put a seed of doubt in her mind. And then what's he do? He doesn't just take the whole verse and mamble it all up and, make, and add all these crazy different words. He changes it by one word. And what's he say? Thou shalt surely not die if you eat of this fruit. What did God say? Thou shalt surely die. He said, did God really say? No, no, no. Thou shalt surely not die. Craftiness and deceitful scheming is that exactly. It's crafty and it's deceitful. You know, even even the angels or even even, you know, the demons masquerade as angels of light. It won't always attempt to invade the church in very obvious ways. Sometimes it is, but it's not always the case. Oftentimes it will come in one form of, of, of a compromise, you know. Uh, for instance, you know, shifting from gospel centrality to pragmatic church growth strategies where we're giving away a new car to see people come in because we feel like the seats need to be full, you know. Um, you know, it, it, it'll, it'll creep in in small ways such as, uh, you know, the omission or addition of a word to make Scripture mean something that it doesn't just as Satan did. It'll creep in deceitfully and scheming um, by taking a verse or two totally out of context with the Bible and build a whole denomination on it. Or, or build a whole system of legalism. Or build a, a whole system of free grace or otherwise known as antinomianism. So let's, let's learn from Jesus. He gave us a great example, right? Who, when, when he was carried away into the wilderness by, by the Spirit, when he was tempted by Satan, what did he do? He combated him with the word of truth, right? He was a faithful student. He knew the word. And so when Satan fired at him and said these things, he was able to fire back at him with the truth. A mature man. It can only happen through diligent Bible study and prayer and obedience, a life given to the Lord. So let's learn from Jesus also who who in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, before his crucifixion, when he was in anxious agony, thinking about being nailed to the cross, all the torture he would have to go through in prayer and obedience. He declared what? Not my will, Father, but yours be done against his own will. Fighting his flesh. He's saying, not my will be done, Father, but yours be done. See, God's will is that our measure for maturity is Christ. Unified in the faith. That we're growing in the knowledge of Jesus. So that we're able to stand firm and be confident in the truth. As we look to verse 15 and 16, we find our third observation for this morning 
A congregation that is growing in the gospel into the image of Christ is to be a body working together in love. So rather than be immature and deceived easily, we are, as Paul writes in verse 15, let me find it, I'm sorry, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So speaking the truth in love has, has, has two applications. It has an application in the church and it has an application outside the church. So speaking the truth in love in the church is for the purpose of growing up every way into Christ. And so as fellow brothers and sisters, we are to speak the truth in love in times of discouragement. And maybe we're just feeling really down and out. I could use a really nice, kind, encouraging word from Rick to come up to me and speak the truth in love and encourage me. Help me be reminded of what God says that I am, who God says I am, not the lies of the evil one. Maybe there's times of grief when you've lost somebody near and dear to you. We speak the truth in love by coming to comfort them with the hope that we have of heaven and Jesus making all things new. You know, maybe there's a time that we, we really need to spur somebody on or exhort somebody to push them towards something. So we could come in there and, and speak a word of encouragement and say, hey, you're incredibly gifted in this area. And I want you to know that it seems like God has called you into this. And, and you just really encourage them to go and do that, to speak that truth in love. And oftentimes, even there's, I know I need this, times of correction. When I'm not living as I should, when I'm not walking in a way that's pleasing to the Lord, as, uh, as Paul says, and not walking in a manner worthy of my calling in which I've been called, there's times that I need somebody to come and speak the truth and love to me and say, hey, bro, you're off track. Let's get back on the same page. I love you and I care for you, but the way that you're acting isn't honoring Christ. It's not being a child of God. All of this is for the purpose of growing up together in every way into the image of Christ. So now speaking the truth in love outside the church. Now the second implication, the second application is to share the gospel. There's nothing more, uh, no more of a valuable truth than the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? There's nothing more loving to share than the gospel, than to go forth to somebody who is in danger of hellfire, who, who is lost and headed straight to hell, and share with them the gospel message, the plan of salvation that God has to redeem a lost sinner from their sins, from his wrath to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. There's no more of a valuable, no more of a loving truth than that. And so how do we share the truth in love? Or how do we share the truth of the gospel in love? You know, many, uh, many people, we see apologists on YouTube who, who do this very well, who are very gifted at speaking the truth in love and, um, you know, maybe combating false doctrines and things like that. They do a very good job. And then there's others who do an absolutely horrible job and we see them fighting and contending and, and yelling and screaming with people who don't, who don't agree uh, with the Christian faith. And I want to remind us that nobody has ever been belittled into the kingdom of heaven. Nobody's ever been argued into the kingdom of heaven. Nobody's ever been beat into the kingdom of heaven by one of us. You, know, you can't go into somebody, or for example, for example, we can't go up to somebody on the street and we can say, hey, you know, we're going to witness to this person. And when you go to talk to them about what they believe when they die, maybe they say, you know, I think that I'm going to turn into a bird when I die. 
And this is what's going to happen. I'll be able to float around the universe or something. We can't go up to that person and say, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You've got to be the dumbest person I've ever heard of in my life. That's not very loving, is it? But many Christians act this way. But instead, we can speak the truth, speak the truth, speak the truth in love by saying, you know, maybe that's interesting. But let me share something with you. You're made in the image of God. You're valuable. You have worth. You're precious. And if you have time, I, I want to share with you what the Bible teaches uh, about the truth, about what happens to us when we die. I want, to, I want to share with you how God's made a way for us to be saved. I'd like to share with you uh, about the God who created the bird. I'd like to share with you about the God who created the heavens and the earth. If you have a moment, I'd like to be able to share that with you. It's more of a loving and kind way to um, share the truth in love. The same way is true when we have brothers and sisters who disagree with us on secondary issues, right? We, uh, we don't go to brothers and sisters who disagree with us on secondary issues. And what I mean is issues other than like um, the Trinity, um, the inerrancy of the Bible, um, the gospel, the virgin birth. These types of major, major issues. So what I mean, secondary issues, the outer ring of the bullseye. We don't go uh, to brothers and just flat out argue with them on every single point and show our behinds. Over some secondary issues. Because why? If there's folks from outside the church that are kind of maybe watching that, what are they going to say? Look at them people always backbiting and fighting with each other. Why would I want to be part of that? We want them to see our love for one another. That's what Jesus says. You prove to be my disciples by loving one another. Not our frustration, you know? And I've been the victim of these things before. And it stinks, you know, of, of being on the other end, of being belittled because of um, doctrine or because of secondary issues. You know, the truth, however, cannot be shared in love if the truth is not known. The truth cannot be shared in love if the truth is not known. That's why diligent study of the word, expository preaching and prayer are absolutely vital. And as we come into a deeper and true knowledge of Christ, the outcome of that is a deeper and more true love that we have for God and for everyone else. Because we come to truly know more about Christ. We will grow more and more into his image. Therefore, loving God and loving people, as he loves the Father and loves people, having a Christ-like zeal, Christ-like passion, Remember, as, as Paul says this, he, he's, he's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? When he's like, man, you can have all these great extraordinary gifts and speak in all of these different languages and even the language of angels. But if you don't have love, you're nothing but a clanging gong or a noisy symbol. We got to have love. The end result for the quest of truth should always be Bring us into a deeper love for God and for others. Speaking the truth in love causes us to grow up in every way into Christ, who is the head of the church. We see in, in verse 16, we see this analogy of the body. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building of up of itself and love. 
Hang in there with me. I'm almost done, okay? So lean forward. Pay attention. We're so close. Christ is the head of the church that holds the whole body together. He equips each individual part of the body to work together for his purposes. A body without a head is a body without power, right? I don't have to give you guys an anatomy lesson to tell you that a body without a head is a body that is dead. A body without a head is a body that is beginning to decay. Many places of worship and denominations have removed Christ as the head. They put in place money. They put in place politics. They put in place ideologies. They put in place a person. Instead of Christ as the head, they've placed these other things there. And they are a body without a head. They are dead. They are a body that's beginning to stink. So Christ is the head of the church. There's no other way. That's it. Christ makes the decisions. Christ gives the directions. He equips the members of the body, each individually, to accomplish his work. He's the sustainer of all life and power within the church. Again, there's no other way. If Christ is not the head, it's just a meeting place without Jesus there. Christ, who is the head, has given the church across the world throughout the centuries, members of the body, equipping them accordingly to accomplish his mission. And likewise, he's done the same here, uh, you know, as in the local church of Imago Dei. He's joined us together. He's equipped us accordingly to accomplish his mission. As Paul, as, as, as Paul says here, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Simply, when we all use our spiritual gifting and obedience to the Holy, Holy Spirit, working together with each other, we will not only grow, but we will mature. When each part is working properly, working together, we will mature in love and into the image of Christ. We'll have a greater reach and, and a greater impact on this city. We'll be able to reach into this neighborhood, into our neighborhoods, into the city at large. We'll be able to, to reach into the United States and into the world. We'll be able to operate as unity as a church. We'll be like a well-oiled machine. When we come to realize that I'm not the head of the church, that Rick's not the head of the church, that Colin's not the head of the church, but that Christ is the head of the church, and we all utilize our gifting to push together towards the will that Christ has for this church, we then will be a body working together in love. Amen? So think about our bodies, for instance. When our backs hurt, right? When our leg's broken, when our wrist is sprained, we don't operate as we should, right? We're a little weaker. We kind of got a hitch in our step, as we would say southern-wise. We got a hitch in our steps. We're a little more vulnerable. There's more strain placed on other parts of the body as we try to compensate for the parts of the body that are not working properly. The same is true of us, church. If one part of the body is not doing as God has called and gifted that person to do, then the rest of the body suffers. As I said before, God has given us everything we need inside Imago Day as a body to function properly. He's gifted every one of us individually and perfectly to accomplish what he's called us into. It's our job as a body to work properly for the purpose of building itself up in love into the image of Christ. And look, that's where we all get skin in the game, folks. Like every single one of us gets skin in the game here, church. It's, it, it's, it's not just a calling for me as your pastor to build up the body in love, but it's a calling that we have together as the body of Christ to build one another up, to engage in the Great Commission, to encourage one another, to speak the truth in love, to grow in the gospel into the image of Christ. 
This isn't a dead-end job where you show up and there's no room to grow or climb up the ladder, so to speak, right? There's plenty of opportunities in the local church to grow and mature. Plenty of opportunities to be sent out, to be commissioned into uh, you know, leadership here even. Plenty of opportunities. So as we close, Joanna, you can get ready to come on up. Uh, at Imago Day, we value growing and the gospel into the image of Christ. It means that we equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That our measure of maturity must be Christ. That we must be a body working together in love. Paul's been faithful in the fourth chapter of Ephesians to call his readers into, the uni- in, uh, into unity in the body of Christ. He's called us as readers of this text, as individual parts of the body of Christ, to work properly so that the body may grow and build itself up in love. And I want to remind us, church, that we may be small in number, but God has equipped every single one of us here to be the individual parts of the body that are necessary for us as a local church to fulfill the mission that God has called us into. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? He don't need a thousand people. He can use 17 just fine. Amen. He's equipped us all accordingly to be able to make it happen. I believe that. Do you believe that? It would be so easy to say we can't reach this neighborhood because we only have 17 people. It'd be so easy to say, hey, we can't engage the city because we only got 17 people. It'd be so easy to say we can't do this or we can't do that because this or that. But as long as we're a body working together properly in unity, growing into the image of Christ, we can. Christ has given this local church everything that we need to do this mission. Amen? He's given us everything that we need to do what he's called us into. So it's our job together as a church to help one another discern their calling. To help one another discern their gifting. It's my job as your pastor to help you discern that, to pray with you in that, to, to, to train you into that, to appoint you into that, to send you out into that, whatever it may be. It's our job as a church to help one another grow into the image of Christ. We don't have to wait on, on the next outreach opportunity to utilize the gifts that God's given us. You don't have to wait for me to come up with an idea to go and do something. Guys, we're a church. We're a body. If God's gifted you somewhere and he's placed something on your heart, come, speak it to us. Let's go and do it, man. It's our job to help one another grow into the image of Christ. And so my challenge to you this morning is what is keeping you from growing? Has God gifted you and called you into something specific? And are you kind of denying that, rejecting that? Are Are people speaking into your life saying, hey, man, you're gifted in this area. Are you just not wanting to do anything with that? Is there deep sin in your life that you should have victory over, that you're not having victory over? Is that keeping you from growing? Are you refusing to work properly with the body? Maybe you feel like, man, I I could use some more training. Come, pray. I'm up here. I want to pray with you over these things, okay? I want to pray with you and help you discern what it is that God's called you into. So let's pray, and Joanna will sing.